right. Good evening. Thank you, worship team. That was awesome. And welcome to the January Now. My name is TJ Serchuk. I am excited to be here. And let's jump into this series about WWJD. As you probably know, if you have been alive much at all, which I like your chances, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And in fact, I think, because our whole point is, if we are going to live like Jesus, maybe we should look at what he did. So we could almost reword this, but it's been branded really well. WDJD, what did Jesus do? Because that's what we're trying to figure out. So I have a, I'm a visual person. I brought a box because it helps me. So hopefully it will help you. This box here represents, yes, it is an Amazon box. In case you're wondering, not a sponsor, okay? Although Amazon, if, if you're watching, let's talk about that. That would be awesome. You could sponsor the next night of worship. But anyway, uh, the box, what does it mean? This box here, this represents how do we testify? How do we evangelize? How do we share our faith? If we're gonna do it though, the right way, we probably have to ask some questions first. The word Christian literally means little Christ, little Christ. So if we are going to evangelize the way Jesus did, maybe we should look at how he did it before we decide how we should do it. So let's uh, open this box and um, see what's inside. Oh, look, another box. Well.ca, also not a sponsor, uh, in case that was confusing. Okay, so this box represents how did Jesus evangelize? How did he do what we are trying to do? But in order to answer that, we probably actually need to ask another question. And that would be, why did Jesus live? So this is our box. How do we live? This is Jesus' box. How did he live? And this is why he lived. And the reason why is because if Jesus had a life purpose or a life mission that determined his actions and how he interacted with people, the things he did, the things he didn't do, and it determined this, then that would be important for us to know. So let's talk about why did Jesus come? But I know, shocker, in order to understand this, there's one more box. This is what I am calling the heart of the matter box. It is also a fossil watch box because my wife recently bought me a fossil watch because she's awesome. And, uh, and I have a bit of a watch issue. I think I'm at 10, but I can quit at any time. Um, also, not a sponsor, but that one would have been awesome. Can you imagine? I could have totally been like Oprah right now. Like, you get a fossil watch. You get a fossil watch. Oliver OJ, look under your chairs. Just kidding. Don't. There's nothing there. But this is the heart of the matter box. What I call the eternal purpose of God. Okay. It's really important before we get into our conversation tonight that we understand, kind of step way back, take the massive view here, and understand that God has an eternal mission. Ephesians 3.11 says God is on an eternal mission. What is that eternal mission? According to Colossians 1.20 and 21, that eternal mission is to reconcile all things to himself through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. Why? Revelation 7-9, so that one day there will be worshipers from everywhere, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, gathered around the throne of King Jesus. God has been on, an emi on a mission. The Bible is simply the written record of that 
that mission, if you've never looked at it that way, I'm gonna offer something to you. If you go on the Center Street website, go under Watch Sermons, look up my name, TJ Sarachuk. A couple years ago, I got to stand on this stage and give what I call the big story, which is the story of God on an eternal mission, the big story highlight reel. It's 25 minutes where we go through the entire Bible from this angle. I'm not gonna do that tonight, but it's there if that'll help fill in some gaps. God's on an eternal mission. Easy to say, is it true? Well, audience participation moment, okay? So I'm going to ask some questions. I'm looking for feedback. If you understand and you agree, say aye. Okay, that was horrible for audience participation. That's kinda, that was the test to see. Okay, if you understand and agree, say aye. Excellent, okay, and some of you even raised your hand. Thank you. Okay, <clears throat> here we go. God is supposedly on an eternal mission. If you are here tonight and you are of Asian descent, make some noise. Okay, if you are here tonight and you are from Middle Eastern descent, make some noise. Okay, we got a couple. If you are here tonight and you are from African descent, make lots of noise. All right, uh, Australia, New Zealand, that whole area, anybody? All right, okay, okay. If you are here and you are, are of European descent, make some noise. Okay, here we go. South America, Latin America, Central America, the Bahamas, the Caribbean, where are you at? For Latinas, that was kind of quiet, but okay. And then all of us transplants, North America, make some noise. Okay, so we got people here from everywhere, one more. If you are here tonight and you are a worshiper of King Jesus, please make lots of noise. All right. Do you see what just happened? God has been on an eternal mission. 2,000 years ago, his son came. 2,020 years later, on the other side of the globe, in a place that didn't even exist at the time, now in a little town called Calgary, People are gathered from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation around a fake throne right now, picturing the real one where we are worshiping the king because God is on an eternal mission. So, part of his eternal mission is to make himself known. In fact, if I could pretend for just a minute that none of us here tonight knew anything about Christianity, we're all new, and I get to give you four points about Christianity to help you understand what it's all about, I think these are the four I would give you. Number one, the first truth you need to know about Christianity, and I think it's gonna pop up here, we'll see. Number one, God is. Not God was, not God will be. Number one, God is, always has been, always will be. Genesis 1-1, the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, when time started, God was there starting it. God is. Truth number two, not only is God, God is, God wants to be known. He is not hiding himself from you. He is not hiding himself from me. He wants to be known. He has purposely come after us. In fact, Romans tells us that there is this thing called general revelation. It's creation. It's that there is a creator who made this thing so that we are drawn to him. The Bible is the written record of him trying to make himself known. Prophets of old spoke, speakers today, worship songs. And now all over the world, not just now, but it's happening a lot right now, especially it seems in Muslim and Islamic countries, God is using visions and dreams to draw people to himself because God is and God wants to be known. Truth number three, God made himself known by sending Jesus. This is how God made himself known. He is, he wants to be known when he wanted to make himself known. He did not write a book. We wrote a book about him. He sent Jesus. Which brings us to the fourth truth. Jesus's purpose is very simply to testify to the truth. So the heart of the matter, God is on an eternal mission, which is why 
Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? He came into the world for one very specific reason. The night before he dies, he is on trial before Pilate. And in John 18, verse 37, look what he says. Jesus answers and said, the reason why I came into the world is to testify to the truth. Jesus tells us he came into the world to testify to the truth. That word testify is very interesting. If I told you, I gotta go. Uh, I gotta go testify. You would think a few things. Well, he's probably going to court. That's a really weird time for court, but okay. There's something on trial, someone on trial, and TJ is going to testify. If Jesus is coming to testify, that means there is a trial. Something or someone is on trial. What is on trial? Truth is on trial. And if truth is on trial, that means there's something else. There are lies. Jesus came to testify to truth because you and I are constantly attacked by lies, given by the liar himself, the father of all lies, Satan. And so what does he do? He comes to testify to the truth. Why? Because in John 18, he says that's his purpose. If you go back just a little bit to John 8, verse 32, we see that Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Folks, there's, this is huge. We are constantly being attacked by lies. And all lies, I would say, come back to the biggest lie of them all, which is very simply this. God is not good. God is not good. That was the first lie Satan told in the garden to Eve. It's the lie he tells you. Oh, it looks different for every person. Sometimes it kind of goes like this. Why do bad things happen to good people? Or if you personalize it, it says, how could God be good when? Or where was God when? Or if God really loved me or if he was really good, then how could he let cancer or death or sickness or bankruptcy or unemployment or rape or crime or hurt or cancer or all these different things? If God is good, why did this happen? What's being said? God's not good. He's holding out on you. But Jesus Christ came. The reason he came into this world is to testify to the truth and the truth is not that God is not good. It is that God is good. He is for you. In fact, truth is not a proposition. Truth is a person, and that person is named Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Truth is not a proposition. Truth is a person. So now when we read John 8, 32, we see that, and we will know the truth, the person, the man, Jesus Christ, and the truth will set us free. Jesus came to testify to truth, specifically to the truth that God is good. We think that God is out to get us. He's not for us. Jesus came to specifically combat that lie and said, I am for you. Think about it. God wraps himself in human flesh, comes to this earth as a baby, lives and begins his ministry, and he stands before you, before me, and before every person who has ever met him, offering his very goodness. He's, it's like he's standing before you saying, I am going to give you my death for yours, my life for yours, my righteousness for your wickedness, my sonship for your sinfulness, my grace and my mercy and my love and my acceptance and my joy with the Father, my relationship and my eternal life. All of it is for you. You think God isn't for you? Jesus came to testify to the truth that God is good. Truth is not a proposition. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus and he's here to set us free. So, if that's why Jesus came, to testify to the truth and to show that God is good, how 
did he evangelize? How did he testify about who he was? Well, when you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you're not familiar with the Bible, they're the first four books of the New Testament. They're written by eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. So if you want to know what he did and how he did it, those are the best books to start with. When you read those, you'll notice a few things. First, Jesus came to testify the truth and to expose lies and to set people free because he is truth and truth will set you free. Second, he often used questions to cut through the lie and to expose the lie that you're believing. And then third, very frequently, he would personally improve your physical state, improve your life in some way to show that he is offering you something better. Let me give you a few examples of, uh, of how he did this. So to expose the lie, there was a rich young ruler who was trusting in his social status to be acceptable before God. So Jesus asks him to sell everything he has and give to the poor, exposing the lie. A lawyer believed that he could earn his way to God simply by his performance of the commandments. So Jesus redefines what it means to love your neighbor as yourself with the parable of the Good Samaritan, all to show that, no, 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 you can't earn your way to God. You need grace. You need mercy. You need Jesus. So he exposes the lie. But he often in, improves their physical life as well. In John, Jesus claims to be the light of the world, and then he heals a blind man, opening his eyes so he can see the light of the world. Jesus claims to be the bread of life, and then he feeds 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Jesus claims that he can forgive a paralyzed man's sin, and then to prove that he can, he heals the paralysis, and the man gets up and walks out, new body, new soul, new life with God. And then he attends a funeral, claims to be the resurrection and the life, and then raises the dead man back to life. This is the approach Jesus would use. And once people saw that their ideas or their religion or their faith or their philosophy left them without answers, once they saw the lie they were believing, Jesus would share truth with them. In other words, he would share himself with them. Again, John 8, 32, they will know the truth and the truth will set them free because truth is not a proposition, truth is a person. And so he would, he would introduce them to himself. Jesus would simply redirect their focus back onto himself as the answer to their questions. Again, let me give you some examples. John 14, 9, Jesus says, you want to see the Father? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice how it's always about him. If I stood up here and said, oh, you're tired? Come to me, I'll give you rest. Don't do it. <laughs> okay, I'm not very good at that. But when Jesus stands up and says it, it's a completely different story because it's all about him because he came to set us free. John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. John 10, 9, I am the door to heaven. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus comes. He lives. He improves our life. He asks questions to expose the lies. He introduces himself to us, or us to himself, the truth, and then he sets us free. He lives, he dies, he rises again, and before he ascends, he gives a couple of last words. Last words are usually quite meaningful. I want to show you a couple of them. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I have a feeling if uh, they could kind of travel time, 
the ends of the earth, where he's standing when he says this, probably looked a lot like the Rocky Mountains near Banff and Calgary. Like, that's pretty far. So, here we are, living it out. What else did he say in Matthew 28, 18 to 20? These are some of his last words to his disciples. Jesus stands before them and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He stands before them and he says, All authority, all power, all everything is mine. And now I give it to you and go tell people about me. Go make me known. Take this, how he did it, which brings us back to our box, where we now get to figure out how do we join God on his eternal mission of reconciling people everywhere? Well, it's really actually quite simple. When we look at how Jesus did it, why he did it, we notice that all we have to do is simply bring them to Jesus. We don't have to do it. I don't have to outwit them. I don't have to out-argue them. I don't have to outsmart them. I don't have to out-apologetic them. That's not really a thing, but I just made it up. All I have to do is bring them to Jesus, let them meet the truth, and the truth will set them free. Which brings up, actually, right here, a very important question. Have you come to Jesus? Okay, I need to be crystal clear here. Church attendance does not save you. Giving time or money to a church doesn't save you. Going on a mission trip, doing a service project doesn't save you. Coming to a now service, preaching at a now service, working in children's ministry, going to a Billy Graham type crusade, playing on a worship team doesn't save you. Praying a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves, full stop. That's it. So, do you know Jesus? Have you come to Jesus or do you just know about Jesus? That's huge. Maybe tonight, the first Sunday of 2020, new decade, this is the night that it's time for you to actually meet Jesus and let truth set you free. So after this service, there's going to be prayer partners. They're going to be up in that corner and they are there to pray with you about anything that is on your heart and they would love to introduce you to Jesus and let him change your life. So first question, do you know Jesus? Second question, have you publicly identified with Jesus? This is what we call baptism. I, again, I'm visual. This is how I like to think about it. Um, if you go to a sports game, often you'll put on a jersey of the team that you're cheering for. What's the point? You don't play for the team. You're not helping them win. Here's the point. Well, some of you think you are. Good job. But what it's really about is you are publicly saying, I'm with them. Excuse the slang, but baptism is the Jesus jersey. You're just putting on the Jesus jersey saying, I'm with him. It's the first step of obedience around the world since Jesus Christ came. It's how Christians identify with Jesus. So, maybe tonight, you need to identify with Jesus. Uh, when I'm done, go out those doors. I believe that would be the best way. Go out those doors, and there'll be people there to talk to you, and maybe tonight is when you join the Jesus team publicly. Do you know Jesus? Have you been baptized? Third, are you bringing people to Jesus? Are you inviting them to come? Are you sharing your faith? Are you doing your part? It's really simple. Bring them to Jesus and do it in a way where you're helping them in their life as well. I was serving at a food bank and I saw a really interesting quote on the wall that said, some people are so hungry, they will never see God unless he appears in the form of bread. I thought, wow, 
That's so true. And then I started to kind of contextualize it. It's January in Calgary and we have a homeless population here. Some people are so cold, they will never see God unless he appears in the form of a blanket or shelter and food. Some people are so abused that they will never see God unless he appears as freedom and kindness. Some people are so misplaced, and that could be because of Syrian refugee status or because of domestic violence or anything in between. Some people are so misplaced that they will never see God unless he appears as welcome and belonging. So bring people to Jesus. Maybe ask them questions that will be hard for them to answer. You know what? Keep in mind, sometimes the improving their life could be as simple as being a good friend. Like, I don't know anybody who has, oh, I've got too many good friends, you know. No, we can all use more. I came across a quote in Nabil Qureshi's book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, where he chronicles his journey from Islam to Christianity and all the struggles that came with that because to do that, he had to turn his back, not just on his faith and his beliefs, but also on his culture, on his family, on his very identity. And he made this simple uh, two-sentence statement. He said, effective evangelism requires relationship. There are very few exceptions. So please do everybody a favor. Keep that in mind as you ask your friends and acquaintances some tough questions. Be nice in the process. <laughs> I'm not sure anyone has too many good friends, so keep your friendships strong as you ask them tough questions. And then as they ask you tough questions, your goal is not necessarily to answer, but to redirect that question to Jesus. And then step back and watch as Jesus does what he does. Expose lies and save lives. That's what he does and that's what he'll do. Personally, probably the biggest impact for me in this area that changed a lot for me was when I stopped thinking about Jesus as a theological truth and started thinking about Jesus as a person. And that was, it's subtle, but it's massive. When he stopped being a theological truth that I was trying to make sure I was accurate on and I got to know him as a person, I started to realize how how unbelievable and amazing he was. And I started to fall in love with him. And then because he was changing my life and he was so cool and so, uh, sorry, that sounds trite, but so uh, attractive and so important to me, it just became natural to talk about him to others. For instance, if you and I were to run into each other in the lobby in a couple of weeks after a service sometime and we just started to get to know each other, don't be surprised if at some point I start talking about my wife and how awesome she is and how much I love her. And, and also don't be surprised if it's not like supernatural in the conversation. It's not like, well, now that I've got you here, I'd like to tell you about my wife. You know, it's not gonna be weird because I do love her. She is awesome and it will naturally come out. But yet don't be surprised if as we're talking, naturally in the conversation somewhere, I start talking about Jesus and how awesome he is and how much I love him. And it won't be weird. Now that I've got you here, let me talk. Because he matters to me and it will come out. When I embrace knowing Jesus and bringing others to meet him this way, instead of a theological truth that I had to defend, when I started to bring people to Jesus, I was fascinated at how conversations began to flow naturally towards spiritual things. And I'm talking with all sorts of people. 
Uh, I've had very random and Jesus-centered conversations with construction workers and drug addicts and Muslims and drunk high Buddhists, which I'll be honest, that one was probably my favorite. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and universalists and gay married couples and bisexual students and junior hockey players and lots and lots of Christians because I have yet to meet anybody who will reject a conversation about Jesus. Church, other things, yeah, sure. Is it because I'm such a great conversationalist and I'm so convincing? No, it has nothing to do with me. It's all about Jesus because they start to meet him and they realize that truth is not a proposition. Truth is a person. They meet the person and the person starts to set them free and they can't get enough because Jesus has this ability to draw people to himself and to save them like he has done for you, like he's been doing for thousands of years on God's eternal mission and like he wants to do with those around you and more importantly, with the people who are not here. He is for your friends. He is for your family. He is for your coworker, your classmate, your Starbucks barista, your teammate, your Uber driver, and anybody else you cross paths with. He is for them. So all you need to do is bring them to him. But perhaps your first step might just be that you need to do a better job of getting to know Jesus. Not about him, but get to know him. Read his gospels. Where are you in his stories? Notice how there's usually three types of people in his stories. There's those who are like the hardcore followers who are willing to die for him. There's those who are like totally against him and ready to kill him. And then there's those that are kind of watching and trying to figure out where they fit. Where are you in his stories? Have you noticed how no one has ever met him and stayed the same? Fishermen were ready to be killed for him. Other people were ready to kill him. Nobody meets Jesus and it's just like, nah, no, that doesn't happen. So if you haven't changed, it probably means you haven't met Jesus. Are you familiar with how he interacted with people? If not, I challenge you to read the Gospels, and I'm like 95% sure you will be surprised at his interactions. They're not what you expect. Have you noticed how he associated with minorities, with women, with people who were known by their sin and their sexuality? Have you noticed who he spent time with, who he got frustrated with, who he extended grace to, who he had words of judgment for, who he had dinner with, who he shared his life with? Get to know Jesus. And as you do, stand back as he changes you and then starts to change others too. So in summary, as we kick off this series of questioning, what would Jesus do? The first question we need to ask ourselves is, do we actually know Jesus? Not know about him, but know him everything comes back to him. The best way to live out our title of little Christ, Christian, is to know and love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. And then as we get to know and love him, bring others to him. Introduce people to Jesus. Introduce people to the truth and they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. It's not our job, it's his. So bring them to Jesus. That's how you evangelize. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have been on an eternal mission that you will not reject or abandon, that you are recruiting worshipers from everywhere. Thank you for recruiting us. What a privilege to stand tonight in freedom and proclaim your name and sing your praise with no consequence. Now, as we leave this place, God, help us to make sure we know you, that we have identified with you, and that we would make you known to others. Whatever obedience tonight looks like, God, give the grace and the strength for those who need it to respond accordingly.
make much of yourself because it's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what's going to happen. Worship team, part of them is gonna come and do a couple of quieter set or songs. You've got options tonight. This is not about the music, this is about you and God. So here are some options on what you might do with what we've spoken tonight. First, maybe it's time that you meet Jesus. Maybe you need to become a Christian, a Christ follower, a little Jesus. If you want help with that, there are prayer partners in the back. Again, for any reason, including salvation, go back there and they will pray with you. Maybe you have decided now's the time to publicly identify, to put on the Jesus jersey of baptism. Head out those doors. Maybe you want to stand and sing. Maybe you want to sit and listen and reflect on what's going on here as we continue to sing praises to Jesus because he is a lamb who is slain who's worthy of all praise. But through it all, keep in mind, what name, what face is God impressing on your heart that he wants you to introduce to him? And then how will you do that? How will you introduce them to Jesus in the coming weeks? Because he's for them, just like he was for you. So we're going to sing a couple of songs. Respond appropriately. There are prayer partners in the back. Sing along with us. And let's continue to praise Jesus. <laughs>